Hello and welcome to Two Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by ballet dancers. My name is Keelan, and this week on the show we have Greta Hodgkinson. Greta retired from the National Ballet of Canada in 2020 as a principal dancer. She was 46, and she had danced at the company for 30 years. Most dancers think of dancing into your 30s as a good career. Dancing till 40 is a long career, and it's basically unprecedented for anybody to be going into 45, 46, and still dancing well and doing all of the rep. Along her journey, Greta picked up a lot of wisdom, uh, a lot of tips, some of which she's going to share with us, and some great stories. Now, I love Greta's stories because I love any story that could start with, yeah, so I was working with Bill in the studio, and she's talking about Bill Forsyth. I just, I love that kind of thing. As a ballet nerd, I love stories about the real thing, about the industry, about the art form. And I think you're going to get plenty of that from this conversation. Greta's from the U.S. She's from Rhode Island. She started dancing when she was four. She started taking ballet seriously at eight. And at 11, she moved to Toronto to go to Canada's National Ballet School. And at 16, she joined the company. That's where we start our conversation. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. I give you our interview with Greta Hodgkinson. And so you graduated at 16 because you skipped a grade? Yes, I skipped grade seven when I joined the school. So you skipped grade seven, so you graduated at 16, and you mm-hmm. immediately joined the company. Mm-hmm. And so that already is like an unusual thing. Yeah, I definitely had a head start on the whole career. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because people nowadays start often so late. Like, you know, you graduate at 18, then you do two or three years of post-secondary, and so it's normal to be getting your first job at 21, and here you are with a five-year head start on that. Yeah. So you rose through the ranks quite quickly. Yes. At what age did you become principal? I was um, 22. 22. 22 or 23, yeah. It was 96. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I was turning 23 that year, so yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So 23, and then you just double that number, and that's the year that you, that's the age you retired right. from, from the company. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of you and Tom Brady are the only people I can think of who are doing their incredible athletic profession into their mid-40s really well, right? Because there are other people who have legacies, and they dance till their 50s and 60s, but you know they're not dancing as well, mm-hmm. but you are still crushing it at 46. Well, <laughs> you were still... thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I tried to really maintain a really high level for myself and my, keep my standards at a certain, you know, yeah. a certain level. And I think being smart about the choices that I made as I became more mature in my career and got older was really key, I think, to people like women like yourself that's really nice of you to say um but thinking that I'm still quote crushing it at 46 but I think it's also exactly that like my I really tried to be uh intelligent about what I danced and when I danced and so I was always at my best I could always be at my best like I gave myself every chance to be at my best at that stage and Sometimes it meant giving up roles that I felt like I could still do, but 
maybe it wasn't so much can I do them, but should I do them? And right. I think that it's really hard for a dancer because all you want to do is, you know, do Aurora again or do Juliet again or do whatever. And it's hard to be objective about your own abilities. And and I've spent, like you said, like 20 some odd years doing that. And it was just kind of, I wrote, like I just did it all the time and it never really had to think about it. But I think when you get older, like those things take more of a toll on your, on your body and mentally and everything else in your life and things change, right? Things change over time. So, uh, it was, it was really important for me to have people around me who were also who I respected and who I relied on to tell me the truth when I didn't think that I could be truthful to myself. Sure. Perspective. Mm-hmm. So, your career, 30 years, uh, so much longer than most ballet careers get to be. So are you able to, or do you naturally kind of break that journey into segments? You also became a principal so early. It's not mm-hmm. like over the 30 years you had five years at each rank, yeah. right? Yeah. But are you able to kind of break that up? Like, I know you've also had two kids, so that's huge life stuff going on. Sure. Are there ways you can break them up into chapters? Like, do you, do you naturally do that? Or is it all sure. I, I think career? there was a chapter of, of the sort of getting into the company and learning so much and doing so much at the beginning, but getting to a place where you are really comfortable with the dancer that you are, like more becoming more established, I guess, is, is the way to put it. Um, so that's like one chapter. So like when I first joined the company, the roles that I did and the people that influenced that part. And also I went through three different directors. So yeah. those are also kind of chapters because when obviously when a director leaves and someone new comes in, there's a whole flip and switch and, you know, it's like so many things change. Uh, so there's that. So there's my evolution and what I went through and how, I became a principal and then I did some more work and then I started guesting and doing more sort of international opportunities and danced a whole ton. And then of course, um, having two kids. So that's another chapter Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming back each time from those births and then finding out what is the best way to resolve such a long journey was, uh, its own little epilogue. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so definitely there's sections to it and it's not just like, oh, I danced and I worked with a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Do you have like an early Greta story? Like maybe uh how you felt when you got one of the promotions? Because that's a special moment or yeah. Or a premiere you had. Anything that that kind of like defining uh, moment. A defining moment from early stage. Oh for sure. I mean my first principal role my first year in the company, I was casted to do Diamond Lady and Sleeping Beauty. So this was in June. So I joined in J- July. And then the following June, we had Sleeping Beauty in the rep. And that was sort of my first big, really big role. And I was obviously young and I was dancing with a second soloist. So that was a whole, you know, I was just, I was so nervous and I was so, um, but really like having that being given that kind of an opportunity and really feeling like people really believed in me was a huge jolt of 
like confidence. I mean, I've always had a fair amount of confidence, I guess, as a, as a person or a dancer, but you know, you're joining the company and you're so young and there's so much to learn and there's such a hierarchy and all these, all these dancers that, well, you know, cause you went to the ballet school as well. Like you go every weekend to see the national ballet perform and there's all these people that you've seen on stage for years, yeah. you know? So there was, there was just a lot to, to deal with. I remember my first year in the company. And then of course the, the schedule was much different than school being in the studio from 10 to six 30 at night. And, so I did get my first sort of injury. I had some stress fracture, uh, stress react. No, they were stress fractures on my outside of my leg on the fibula. And then of course, diamond lady is a jumping rule. So, <laughs> so that was a lot to kind of handle and deal with like both mentally and physically my first year. Um, so that was kind of a defining moment, like getting over that and, and really, I think doing well and quote proving myself, I guess, um, being relatively new at 17 at this point. Yeah. But I think the sort of really big moment like that stuck out for me in that beginning, in those beginning years, because it was a total surprise. Like I didn't know I was going to be casted. So the casting went up and Reed Anderson, who was the director at the time, cast me for Swan Lake. Okay. And I was in your first season. No, no, this was like a few years later. So I had done. So you were like nineteen. I had done like um, Nutcracker, Celia Franca's Nutcracker. So I had done Sugar Plum and Snow Queen, which are it's like you do both roles in that. Right. So that was kind of my first like full length was Nutcracker, and you know Reed wanted me to do that and make sure that I had done something before giving me Swan Lake because really, I mean Swan Lake is probably the hardest full length ballet for a ballerina like stamina wise but also interpretation and it's just it's so hard and I didn't know that I was going to be given that so I was a second soloist at the time so this was about three years after I joined yeah I was 19 or 20 maybe 21 and yeah so I was like so shocked <laughs> and I started rehearsing and I also because being the new cast they were like all the principals were doing it and a couple of soloists as well. And then my name on the end. <laughs> and, uh, but because I was the new cast, I mean, I knew I was only going to get one or two shows. And I also was casted in the pot de trois and like, I had to do other things. I couldn't just do that. You know, yeah. it was like, and those really were the days like you, you did your core work, your soloist work and your principal work when you weren't going up to the company, like even if you got a principal role, it didn't mean you just got to not do anything else and just work on that. So I had to do other things and I was rehearsing pot de trois and I fractured my foot. It was, the rehearsals were really intense and I was just completely like just pushing so hard. My debut was supposed to happen in November and unfortunately, because I fractured my foot, I had to have like six to eight weeks off. And then I had to like start back slowly. So I missed my debut. And of course, when you're that young and you miss something so important, it just feels the like the worth is, yeah, the world is ending and mm -hmm. I'm never going to get another chance or mm -hmm. it just was so devastating. But um, we gave me Nutcracker that year to kind of build up my strength and get me back and ready. And back, those were back in the days as well that the ballets would come back around throughout the year. 
So if I missed it in November, it wasn't like I have to wait two years to do it again. It came back and there were like two, there were like three or four shows tagged on to the February season. And so, um, so I worked to get back to do Nutcracker and then in, uh, in February, you know, I ha- I was able to make my debut, which was just like, I, I can't even describe how amazing that was. And then, um, so I finally made my debut in February and then Reed came onto the stage at the end of the show and promoted me like on the spot. So right. that was really, yeah, it was a really, it was, it was a big, big moment for me for sure. Right. Yeah. Promoted you to first solo. First solo. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't yeah. skip any. You skipped a grade. No, I didn't. Skip any <laughs> no, I didn't. Skip. No, no, no. Okay. No, I went through every step, and you know, every step was necessary and uh, really important. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's that's really nice. Yeah. I I, I hoped like a, when I was in Estonia and I was I was outperforming my rank like so much, um, and I was like, oh, I bet you one day that's gonna happen. Like in my head, I was hoping like. Okay, you know, there's a lot of people backstage. Like maybe this is gonna promote me on stage, yeah. and they're like, no. When they did the promotions, it was just um, like an email or something. Oh, really? <laughs> it's just like you have a new contract to sign. I was promoted yeah. to principal over, kind of over the phone, but um, but yeah, it that is such a, and I know they do it in other companies where they they'll promote like etwells and stuff on stage and even in front. Like this was behind the curtain, yeah. you know, but they didn't do it in front of the audience or anything, but. There is really something so exciting about it. And, um, you know, I was already on such a high from the performance that I didn't think that I just wasn't obviously expecting that. And it was, it was a really, it's a very special moment for me. You probably didn't get a lot of sleep that night. No. You're probably pretty wise. Yeah. If I'm ever a director, I'm going to try to promote everybody as much as I can in special ways. On stage. As much as I can, like whatever is, (laughs) yeah, on stage or like something awesome because why not like why take a why make something so amazing not amazing like why make it lackluster one of the promotions that i witnessed in estonia was uh one of my partners doing swan lake she finished swan lake i think she was a demi soloist and then he gave her like a bunch of notes so it seemed like she was unhappy with her and then he was like oh also by the way you're promoted and she was like and just watching that whole thing play out like (laughs) really man Really? Those notes could have waited until tomorrow. Interesting choice. Yeah. Um, so then you got to work with Roberto Bolle when he was young, in mm-hmm. the beginning of, beginning of his ascension to superstardom. Mm-hmm. And that relationship ended up being a long and fruitful one. Mm-hmm. I know you did a Gap campaign. I remember you did like you had like giant billboards and posters of you in a back press with Roberto mm-hmm. Bolle. That was weird. But I mean, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. How often do ballet great. dancers get featured in big multinational uh, campaigns like that? Yeah. But so that relationship, I think, changed things. You started doing a lot of galas mm-hmm. and traveling the world. And you probably danced in more countries than most people have ever been to. You know, if you've been all over the place, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things about being a dancer is if it can help you travel. Mm-hmm. You can see the world. Because yes. when we travel and perform, you're doing something really intense. So the trip itself is connected to this giant high you get from the show. Right. And you're building something that's important. Like I would rather go to an interesting country, to a new place to perform than just a sightsee, like hands down. Plus, if you're going there to perform, you're also getting paid. So rather than paying, you're making money. But even that aside, that must have been really fun. 
Yeah, it was fun. Do you have any gala stories, anybody? Like, I mean, you've met everybody. You've talked about partnering with Carlos Acosta and partnering with Roberto Bole, and you've met everybody. Anything you want to say can be funny, it can be bad, it can be Philip Glass themed, it can be whatever you want. (laughs) No, I think one of the one of the most fun things about doing all of that was that, yeah, obviously traveling to some pretty beautiful and amazing places that maybe I would never have had a chance to go to. But also when I was doing a lot of those things, uh, with Roberto especially, what was so nice was all the time we weren't doing typical galas where it was a ballet thing or it was like, because in Italy they they just value culture and the arts and dance so much that it could be for, it could be for the opening of a bank and they would have a dance show. Or like one time we were doing a pas de deux on an outdoor stage for this unveiling of like this hundreds year old um, statue that they found in the sea that they had uncovered. And it was this huge you know, historical find that they found, but it was this beautiful, sorry, the name of it's escaping me right now, but it was this beautiful uh, piece of art that they had uh, discovered. And so they were having an unveiling of it. And so there were these really unusual places that we got to perform or for a different type of audience and for a different type of thing than just your typical ballet gala, you know, and we did, we danced for, the Torino Olympic Committee and it was really fun and it was interesting and you got to meet some really interesting people and obviously the dance world the ballet world especially is so small that you also doing those regular galas meet new people but you also see a lot of the same people so like people who were dancing in Europe and dancing in other companies I would see them like more than once it would be like oh and there they are at another gala and then you know you kind of develop these you know, friendships, but you're not super close, but I think dancers automatically feel close to one another, that relationship, if they've met you once, like we, you already, you're like, oh yeah, I I met her at this gala. She's so sweet and she's so nice. And then you sort of think the next time you see them, it's like you pick up, we, I don't know, dancers tend to be very open and friendly. And so it was really nice to make connections with a lot of people that, Obviously, I wouldn't have made if I hadn't been doing those things. So, and those are like they're lifelong connections. Like I still, I mean, am connected with those people now, yeah. and I haven't seen some of them in many, many years. Do you ever just like Facetime Carlos Acosta, like, no. just on a Tuesday or something? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just like text like Nina Ashley, like, hey, what's up? Do you have any good recipes or something like that? No, I haven't done that. <laughs> I mean, it's never too late. You could yeah. always, I think Carlos changed his number because he hasn't been texting me back. I'm assuming he changed his number, but, um, but that's great. So uh, really amazing 30-year career. Would you say that it was easy for you? Like easy in the sense of natural. Like was it a struggle? Was it perseverance alone? Was it willpower? Do you simply have just like a genetic gift that somehow things worked for you? Uh, was it consciously like, oh, like my diet was so strict and vegan and all this and cryo mm-hmm. chambers and like, like, you know cryo what I mean? Like, I guess I'm kind of asking <laughs> yeah, two no, questions. No, I end- yeah. I'm asking like, how did you do it? But also maybe before we even get to that, mm-hmm. like some people probably just like straight up can't go for more than eight years because body's not made for it or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the, you know, we know, and most of the people listening would know 
ballet isn't just a physical challenge. It requires like a full mental presence. Like when you're going out on stage, especially to do a lead, even if it's a lead you've done 50 times before, you got to be focused. Like yeah. Odette Odile doesn't get easy. Mm-hmm. It maybe gets easier, but it's still my whole week, my whole month has been prepared for this moment, mm-hmm. gearing up for this thing. So for you, would you say that it was just a natural flow and it was kind of chill for you? Or was it like, no, I had to constantly be solving Rubik's cubes and figuring it out in my body? Uh, well, I'm not a really chill person, so I'm going to say no, it wasn't really chill for me. But I, I mean, there's so many factors that go into longevity. Well, you just list, list a few of those factors. We don't have to go into all of them, but what are those factors? Well, like you mentioned, like genetics is for sure one thing. I was really, really fortunate. I mean, I mentioned that I got injured early on, but I learned very quickly and I was very disciplined about how I took care of my body. Like, you know, I got into the habit really young of regular physio, regular massage, regular, like my routine was always the same. Even if I didn't really have anything wrong, like for me, I saw it as that was maintenance. It's not like I'm going to wait till I get injured and then go to physio and get, you know, and get it looked at. So like genetics plays a part of it in it. The routine plays a part in it. The discipline is just a must and it's a huge part of it. What type of discipline? Just the persistence of like, even when you don't feel like it or so many aspects like the technical discipline of how you work in class, the mental discipline of like focusing and concentrating and Mm -hmm. making yourself do it. Like I just was so relentless for so many years. Um, And I, I have said this before. It's so true. Nobody does this alone. Nobody makes it to be that successful or whatever on their own. And I was very fortunate that I had, a couple of mentors and which is why I feel that is such a major part of this career. You know, some of them didn't know they were mentors. Sure. <laughs> some of them did. Yeah. Um, but you know, someone who, like I said, just knew me so well and was able to be there for me and not just helping me to be a better dancer, but to handle stress and to be a better person in this, stu- like just in every way. So yeah, there's just a lot of things. Like I feel like talent, yeah, that's a part of it. But once you make it to a certain level and you're a professional dancer, we all have talent. We yeah. all have, you know, we all have abilities. And well, I guess the question is like, what makes you an outlier? Like, what is that skill? Because yeah. you are an outlier. The principal ballerinas, right. all outliers. But the one who lasts till 46, yeah. who started at 16, yeah. outlier, outlier, yeah. <laughs> right? Like three times over outlier. So let me rattle off a couple things like free association, just like kind of like what comes to your mind? Like what was your approach to this okay. in 10 words or less? Okay. What was your approach to eating that has served you this long? Um, I'm very conscious about what, when I was working as hard as I was working as a principal dancer and dancing as much, I was very conscious about what I was eating, but I always let myself have a little bit of everything. Like I never, I never, um, sort of quote starved myself of having something sweet or doing, I wasn't, I was never like, I just could never do it. I right. just don't, I would be in such a bad mood. So I, I love food. <laughs> there's the, the, the different approaches to eating. I think there's the, um, focusing on what you're putting in and then focusing on what you're avoiding. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there's the extreme of I'm going to avoid everything, which is not sustainable. There's the I'm going to avoid all things unhealthy, which I certainly don't do. And you're saying you didn't avoid that stuff entirely. No, but I was conscious. I would say I was a conscious eater. I was conscious about what I was putting into my body. And I was very... Um, I'm quite superstitious and I like routine. So okay. I was always, you know, before I would do a big show the night before I would have, make sure I would like have a steak or something or something okay. like a lot of protein. Like I had okay. a, a sort of way that I felt was going to benefit me, you know, um, right. in, in what I was doing. So the night before you have a big show, something you're yeah. really Lots of protein paying attention to, and, yeah, yeah. big meal, something that you know you can burn that fuel the next day. Yeah. I happen to know you have a very particular <laughs> approach to sleep. What, what would you yes. say that is? I love it. I go to bed very early. Uh, I just need a lot of sleep. Right. And I notice a huge difference in my body when I don't get it. And so my body just can't recover. And it just, I mean, for they, people know this anyway, that like, obviously when you sleep, it's when your body recovers. And, but I, I know, I really notice it. Like some people don't notice it as much and they mm -hmm. can get very little sleep for a few nights and they can still function the next day, but I can automatically feel it. And I'm not at my best. One of the things that's interesting about your journey is that, uh, you didn't just peak and then stop. You peaked and had longevity, right? So you rode your prime a lot longer, like way longer than most people do. You know, people who can burn the candle at both ends and perform amazing shows and all the time, but and then also party. How long is that going to last? Mm -hmm. Right at what mm -hmm. point are they going to either psychologically or physically just peter out? Mm -hmm. Because you took care of yourself. I'm guessing that like all of these things added three percent, five percent more, and you build all of that right. together. Twenty five percent longer career than anybody else would think, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was never one of those people anyway. I was never like a huge partier and. I value my sleep too much to sort of push myself through the, to get a second wind. I'm, I just yeah. try and listen to my body as much as possible. And I've always been like that, even when I was 16. So right. of course at 16, there was nowhere to go. I couldn't do anything anyway sure. <laughs> at uh, that age. LeBron James, who's in his 19th year in the NBA, and he's still playing at an incredibly high level. He's also been pretty public about saying sleep is his superpower. Oh, really? Right? So, and this is somebody who's, got all of the fanciest equipment and everything he needs, mm -hmm. but also he's saying sleep without that, he's he's not gonna make it. So uh, what is your post-show routine? A uh, bucket of ice up to my knees to soak ankles and lower legs and then eating. Um, I didn't really do this until later on in my career, but I found that if I had a particularly difficult performance, doing something like Aurora dancing for, you know, three hours or whatever, or some like a lot of the full lengths that really take a lot, you know, I'd be exhausted, but like just going home and going to bed or sitting down for a meal, like right after was kind of the worst thing. And I found that if I could just even walk a little bit afterwards and get a little bit of like the lactic acid out of my legs and once my feet and ankles were unfrozen from the ice bucket, I found that that made a big difference. I felt a lot better the next day, uh, recovery-wise, um, and and sleep, once again. Would you have to go in early the next day after a show, or were you able to come in later? Because that's kind of a killer. Like, if you have a show yeah. till 10, and then yeah. you've got class It, it depends. If, if it was something, like, again, if it was a performance of Sleeping Beauty, I wouldn't have to come in early the next day. 
but again, even coming in and just doing class, like just moving, not in a, not like to work the hardest, but like just to move your body was really, really helpful. And I did have to do two beauties in a row in Montreal one time. And I had, I, I had only been doing beauty for a very short amount of time. And so I actually didn't know if that was even possible. Like I was still, you know, Apex. it's just, yeah, it's just, it's so much. And, um, but I had my, you know, my coach Magdalena Popa and she was my mentor for 30 plus years. But back then, you know, she had been my mentor for quite a few years and my coach And she said to me, you know, you do not come in tomorrow for class and you just, you rest all day and eat and, you know, come in, sort of get your makeup on, do a small warm up, you're good to go kind of thing. And I was at that point, you know, didn't have the kind of experience that, uh, of course I trusted her implicitly. So that's exactly what I did, but I didn't have the kind of experience to know if that was the right thing to do. I was just like, I would have come in and done class and probably been too tired and you know, the whole thing. And yeah. So then that's what I did. And I was still warm from the night before. Like I remember just feeling like, and so much more relaxed to the second show because you just don't have that extra energy to spend. It was, it had a great show, but, um, but definitely after that, I, I had, uh, I was pretty sore and tired for a good week. <laughs> so, so I paid the price, I think after that, but, but yeah. And, and then you learn, right. Then that was such a good learning opportunity for me because then I, I knew a, that I could do it. I knew it was possible. And I also knew, I just knew, learned more about my body from that experience than if I had just done a show and had three days off and, you know, recovered regular. I was kind of like, Oh, it is possible you know you can you can i mean as you know you can push your body pretty far yeah we did uh in one of my seasons at jorgen we had three casts doing the lead in nutcracker and both the other casts had an injured dancer and so taylor and i did uh 15 of the 25 nutcracker shows in like three and a half weeks and you just kind of go like not autopilot because it's definitely not autopilot but it's it stops being like a oh my God, can I get through this? Like, cause I hear that voice every time. It's like kind of whispering, like, Hey man, you, you might suck. Like, what if you blow this? Like, you know, what if you can't do it? And then by like the fourth show in three days of Nutcracker lead, it's like, is that voice still in there? Like, why would I listen to you? I just did it twice yesterday. Today I only have to do it once. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll be okay. Yeah. I'm just curious for those Montreal shows, your partner was Roberto Boy? No. 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 I, I made my debut in beauty with with him uh but that was here in toronto so that was at the what's it called now meridian meridian hall yes it'll be called something else by the time this episode goes out i know it'll be called back then it was the o'keefe that's how long ago that was so yeah Yeah. some teenager right now is listening and rolling their eyes like oh as if sleep matters don't take it from greta like if you have half the length of a career she had (laughs) you're having a really good career so just listen, write it down, and like cancel some of those party invites and just go to sleep. <laughs> Technique is the best medicine. Svea yeah. will talk about this, where it's like, you want to have a long career, you want to feel healthy? Use the technique. Hold your turnout. Be on your leg. Because mm-hmm. every time you're off and you're struggling, your body has to squeeze. And that squeezing and mm-hmm. that compensating is the fastest way to build up some kind of an injury. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. That was another thing that Magdalena would always focus on. Like... I never had 
180 turnout and like you know, I had facility obviously to be a dancer, but not the way that like some dancers today have. And I think that in a way it was good because it also made me analyze technique. So I had to kind of figure out how was the best, healthiest way. And, and she also emphasized this of like turning out properly and not, you know, not sinking in your joints and not, you know, so like some, if you're too loose, that can be a problem as much as being too tight. And I think having that sort of balance and really understanding the good pathways of how you jump and how you train from the bar that in a really, and she would always say this in a really healthy way, you know, lengthening and building strength around your spine and your middle so that the rest of it just happens in a very relaxed way. And, you know, like you just mentioned with not the kind of strain on your joints. Um, yeah. So without that kind of strain, it's true. You, you can dance longer and putting all those things into place right so yeah. we're not forcing turnout we're not twisting our ankles getting up onto point you know when you're aligned you know ballet is arguably the hardest thing to do but but or a pique arabesque is like the hardest thing to do but when you think about it and you put all your bones in a line and you put all your that that's it's hard to do it but if you do it right or well then then ballet becomes easy easier <laughs> Easier. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to make it easy, but once you've got that stuff, yeah. then it's like, oh, actually, like, this is comfortable now. Like, yeah. I can actually stay on relevant. It's fine. And oh, yeah. The foundation is just so important. If you don't have a good foundation, you can't, like, for me, like, it just helped my contemporary work so much. And to be able to do a lot of those things was because of having a strong classical, you know, base. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, they kind of go hand in hand that way, but... Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how you trained from four to 16 and then you were a professional from 16 to 46 and every morning, more or less, mm -hmm. you'd come in and do class. I wonder like, what did class feel like and how did you keep it fresh? And so I did a bit of math here. Okay. Two plus two is four minus one. That's three quick maths. So if we think that you work for on average 47 weeks a year, Right. You have five weeks in the summer, roughly. I know sometimes you would spend the summers guesting and uh, doing galas and stuff. But let's just say on average, 47 weeks a year, on average, six classes a week. Right. Because sometimes you do two classes because you've got morning class and then you do one more before your show. And let's just say averaging it out. 47 weeks, six classes a week is 282 classes a year. Now, if you do 282 classes for 30 seasons, that's 8,460. Now we add school, let's say eight years of that school, you would have been doing six classes a week because Monday to Saturday, you always do class. So that's another 2,256 classes. And then for the four years before that, like when you're younger and you're kind of just doing part-time stuff, let's say you're doing three, on average, three classes a week. That's another 564. So that's 11,280 classes, ballet classes that you've done, just ballparking it, right? Mm -hmm. If you didn't take off those five weeks every summer, so let's say for 20 of those years, once you're doing galas and guestings and all that stuff, let's say you spend four of those weeks also doing class, that's easily another 400 classes, like right there. If you're doing four weeks a year, five classes weekly for 20 years, that's 400 more classes. 
But for the sake of this, let's say you always took off five weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. So you've done 11,280 classes of your career, give or take. Now, if we just want to look at something like a tondu, right? So I tried to break it down and think, how many tondus do we actually do per class? Because some teachers give eight tondu exercises. But let's just say, on average, your standard that you're always going to have is a warm-up at the bar, which usually has some tondus, a tondu in first, and a tondu in fifth, and then one in the center, minimum. And that's not talking plies, jetés, rondes, jambes, anything else. It's just tondus, okay? So I did it. I counted it out in my head. I thought the average warm-up probably has 20 tondus. So like including right and left, that's 20. A tondu in first would usually have 32 each side. So that's 64 total because you've got four each direction, back and front. Um, in fifth, same idea. And then the one tondu in the center usually has like three front, three back, three side, you transfer weight, and then you do both sides. So that's like, let's say, plus you throw in a tondu here and there for a pirouette exercise, stuff like that. You've probably got 30. So on average, at like minimum, if you just do those exercises, you're probably doing 178 tondus per class. So if we add that together, we multiply those, that's 2,007,840 tondus over the course of your lifetime. But if we're talking a teacher that does give multiple tondus, which is a lot of teachers give three tondu exercises and there's tondus and other stuff, right? And we start to expand it. Plus mm -hmm. maybe you do some warm up tondus before rehearsals, this kind of thing. If we get the number from 178 to 300 a day, that's 3,384,000 tondus over the course of your lifetime. So my question is, how do you keep that fresh? Like, how do you keep coming back to your 3 millionth tondu and your almost 12,000th class and be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm excited. Well, oh, we're hearing some, every class is like that. We're hearing some classical music. I've heard this song before, but you can play it again. You know, like you've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do don't know if fresh it? is the right word. I think it's more an obsession with trying to uh, achieve perfection. That isn't possible. That's what we're doing, right? We're trying to achieve this perfect tondu or perfect arabesque. And I think it's more that relentless obsession. And again, it's not every single class that you go into, you're going to be like, yeah, I feel because obviously sometimes you wake up and you're hurting or you're, you can't work the same way that day for whatever reason. So not every class obviously is like that, but like to me, I was like, I, sometimes class is a warm-up. Sometimes you need to warm up for the rehearsals that day or you're very tired. So you're just doing, you're just doing it easy. You're just sort of moving, trying to get the blood flow, trying to get going, you know, but I, I often was thinking, like, when I stop dancing, am I going to keep doing class? Like, because for me, that it was always a goal. It was always a goal to do in class. It was to get yeah. better at something or it was to, you know, figure something out in my body. Like, how can I make that hip feel better in this position? Or it was about discovering something. And so if there was no need to push myself to the extreme, like, would I still do class kind of thing? Um, it's just a great way to keep in shape. Yeah. is another thing. But um, the other thing that I found, especially as I got older, was that it was also so the way I meditate. I don't sit and meditate in a room with my legs crossed or, you know, I don't do a lot of that kind of meditation. But for me, the class is like that. It's like a it's a way to get back in touch with my body, get into yourself, 
figure out how you're feeling that day, what hurts, what doesn't hurt, you know, that kind of thing started to become more what I would use class for, you know, like as well as trying to get better at something or work on something. And so it was like kind of a combination of things. So like every day, it's not so much that you go in with like the same energy as the day before. So it wasn't 3 million classes of exactly the same thing. And I was just trying to keep it fresh. It's like, try and like really try and learn something every class, try and get better at something or try and, you know, otherwise it's true. It's, it can be really boring to do please tondus to gadgets, right? But it's what yeah. we do, right? It's like taking a vitamin and eating breakfast. That's what we do. We do class and you have to do class. What were you thinking about in your final season in terms of like technical stuff? Because like I find that fascinating that no matter how good you are, but if we ask you, how was that show? You're going to be like, well, I've got 20 things that weren't perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So the specifics of what the mind is actually focused on is fascinating because we have no idea mm -hmm. what the superstar or the person that we're idolizing is actually going through. What were you thinking about that last year? The last year? Well, I mean, I did Giselle in the last year. I did Nutcracker. I did... Uh, did Marguerite and Armand, which was a new ballet for me. I'd never done it before. So there were a lot of things going on that... Uh, but do you remember technically anything that you were thinking about, like like a new thing where you're like, oh, I figured out turnout differently, or I'm thinking about the spine lengthening. Like, was there something that yeah, was a new correction? Yeah, I think correction? there was a... Not, not necessarily a new correction, but I think there was a real... Um, I, I felt like not just the last year, but I felt like the last few years that I had gotten to a place where as much as some things get more difficult, there were a lot of things that got easier because the, the muscle memory and the stamina that was already in my muscles from years and years and years, plus the experience, plus the knowledge and all of it, like when it all kind of comes together, it's like, it's really freeing and it's really um, enjoyable to dance, right? Like it's when you're not thinking so much about like, about the technique part of it so much. I mean, you are always because you have to think when you dance and there's a lot of elements obviously that come into play, but I felt like a lot of when you were talking about the technical elements were, were kind of there. Like it wasn't like, I'm going to do a much better arabesque this year than I've ever done in my career. Like that wasn't what I focused on and it wasn't what I wanted to focus on. You know, it was about like, how can I get the most enjoyment out of this experience, out of this time in my career, out of this moment? What is that? Like I was enjoying so much. Um, and, and I have enjoyed for, for many years before, but like I was enjoying so much being in the studio and working with, and just rehearsing, like being with, you know, my partner, Guillaume and I were working together like the whole year practically. And, and um, well, on, on Giselle and on Marguerite and, you know, having someone that you trust and that you've worked with so much and that was so um, comforting at a time when there were a lot of emotions, obviously, that last year and doing the last of this and the last of that. And, you know, so just having, I was really relishing the relationships that I was having and what I, and just having like a great rehearsal and yeah, just trying to like, take a mental picture of what that, of what that was, you know, wow. trying so that I can look back and go, that was great. Like I really lived all of it to its fullest and have no regrets about that. I focused so much on something that didn't matter in the end, you know, like mm -hmm. how my tongue do wasn't quite as turned out as it was back in 2017. Like, I mean, like for me, it, that would have been a shame, you know, to, to be so 
really, I was able to kind of step back and see the big picture and be really grateful for everything. Mm. Yeah. How would four-year-old Greta feel, you know, if she got to see where everything was going to go? Uh, I she'd be pretty happy with the way things turned out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird because even though I knew back then and made the choice to to be a, a dancer and, you know, wanted, you know, I, I think deep down, like, yeah, I wanted to do Giselle and Swan Lake. I wanted to do all those things as a young aspiring ballerina. But yeah, I don't think I knew that anything of what I did end up a, accomplishing or doing was possible. Like I didn't know that existed. I didn't, I didn't know about it. So it wasn't like, Oh, I want to travel the world and I, mm -hmm. I want to do, you know, it was just like, I just want to dance. I just want to like, I want to be the ballerina and I want to do that thing. But I didn't know all the things that came with it at that such a young age, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I guess if I were to tell that eight year old about all of it, it'd be pretty overwhelming <laughs> and probably, yeah, like I said, I think she'd be really happy, but I don't, it wasn't something that I was like, Oh, I have to do that. Or, you know, it was right. just, it was just something that I just had to be. Right. Yeah. When I think about um, the way my career has worked out and and it really informs the way I am approaching life now, moving forward, like if my younger self were to see how everything worked out, it would I would never be afraid again. Like, it's like if you see the future and you go, oh, everything's going to work out like better than I expected or mm -hmm. at least as good as I wanted, like then all of the fear that I had, all of that micromanaging, the panic of, oh, on in that Thursday class, my pirouettes weren't very good. And, you know, that's the confirmation that I'm never going to make it. Like mm -hmm. all of those thoughts, I'd be like, well, that's somehow that's not real. Like none of that's real. And so I would just have more trust. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I, if little me saw video of me doing variation and he was like, oh, that's going to be me. You promise. I think he would just go like, oh, okay, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Not so concerned with micromanaging and panicking that his dreams weren't going to come true. And so I try to approach life now much more like, look, the micromanaging thing, the freaking out, the little low-level panic at all times, it's not necessary. It's not mm -hmm. helping. Things work out in the end. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You'll be actually more effective if you're relaxed. Yeah, like I said, it, it's it's hard for me to be chill. But I think definitely, I, I think if I trusted or if I knew, you know, oh, things are going to work out okay, then there is that like the back of your mind can be calm. But the, the work is still in front of you and all of that, that entails. So I feel like you might know it in the back of your mind, but you're still only as experienced as you are at that moment, right? Like you still have to go through all of the ups and downs of what that is to get there. Right. So I think there's a really healthy level of stress and of, I mean, I don't want to say worry because worry is not it doesn't serve a huge purpose, even though we all worry about things all the time. But yeah, I think it probably would have helped to be a little calmer about things. And, <laughs> and that's where too, you know, that's the other part of the little tidbit of the puzzle that we didn't talk about. And, and a fair amount of luck comes into play too, you know, being lucky to sort of be in the right place at the right time, having the right director at the right point in your career mm -hmm. and, you know, meeting the right partner or there's, there's all those little things that come into play too, that, uh, go with the discipline and all those other things we talked about earlier. Right. And it always helps to have a little bit of luck. Yeah. Yeah. Good fortune yeah. for sure. Yeah.
Thank you so much, Greta, for being here. Thank, Thank you for coming on the show. It was really nice. Um, people can find you at Greta Hodgkinson on Instagram. Yeah. And you have a mentorship program that you're launching right now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and where that comes from? Sure. Uh, well, it's called Dance Mentoring by Greta. And I see the need for it. I see the need for it for dancers. And so I really wanted to try and, yeah, fill that void a little bit. And also, I, I, it's something I enjoy. And I feel, I feel a huge amount of responsibility to give back a lot of what I know. Like, I feel like I've acquired a lot of knowledge over the years. And I'm really passionate about passing that on and about helping, you know, other dancers to develop and hopefully enjoy their careers for a long time. So that's why I wanted to start this mentorship. So yeah, people can get in touch with me there. It's called Dance Mentoring by Greta. So okay. yeah. And the best way to find that is on Instagram? Uh, well, oh, no. it'll be on all the social platforms, but um, but yeah, the, the website is just dancementoringbygreta.com. Right. right. So yeah, that's fantastic because you get to kind of combine all of the things that work for you and then the impulse to reach out and help others and funnel that into giving back. That's a wonderful initiative, and Thanks. I'm sure a lot of people are going to benefit from that. Uh, you can find us at 22guys on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at 22guyspod at gmail.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. We love hearing from people. Thank you so much, and uh, I will see you in rehearsal in a few days. Yes, thank you. Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.